Hello everyone, my name is Everton Blackwood and this is Disciplinary Literacy in the 21st Century. Today, I am joined by Parrish Lee Howard Jr. <laughs> the whole name. A senior, a senior at Campbellsville University in Kentucky. And today we're going to do a little discussion on discourse. So to begin, I'm just going to give you what discourse is. All right. So discourse is a place where membership is defined by specialized ways of talking, working, valuing, performing, and being where language shapes and disciplines its members. So we got a few examples. So one that I picked up was an example of people who read the same comics. So like you got DC versus Marvel. Right. Then you got people who read different uh, newspapers, more like... The New York Times would be more uh, liberal versus, I can't even think of a conservative uh, newspaper right now. But those would be examples of like discourse communities mm-hmm. because they have specialized uh, ways of talking, different languages and such. Uh, do you have any examples of a So could you include something in as far as the football realm with me being a former football player? The, the thought of uh, Calvin Johnson's nickname being Megatron, would that actually be included in the situation? With some people not understanding that we're talking about Megatron, Calvin Johnson instead of Megatron, the Transformer. Yeah, that would be a perfect example because, you know, you have Megatron being a different meaning for the football because you have this receiver who nickname is that because of the right. fact that he's just so dominating versus uh, the actual Transformer because that's the leader of Decepticons. Right. So, <laughs> so what about... um? Randy Moss. You think Randy Moss counts? I mean, he came up with his own word. You know, he catches so well in you know certain situations with defenders all around him that we started saying that he mossed on people, and now it's just carried around in the decades and decades of football. Now everybody's saying you got mossed on. You know. Yeah. So once again, this is a perfect example for people who would be of a dis of a football discourse because of the fact that. This is specialized language versus someone who doesn't actually follow football. They wouldn't actually know, like, what the heck they mean when you say you mossed on someone. Right. Because they could be thinking of, like, sea moss or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the questions uh, asked is, how do you feel like the idea of discourse affects how you do schooling, teaching, and learning? I believe discourse would actually form a new community as far as schooling, teaching, and learning. Because as a teacher, of course, you have to learn how to adapt to the students that you have year in and year out. And all your students aren't going to be the same as far as comprehending the development they need and being able to showcase the development that they've gained. You know, So Mm -hmm. as a teacher, being able to comprehend their levels of discourse as far as making analogies towards things that they would understand like just like we were saying if we were breaking down that Megatron was back in the day they might understand because they're uh, you know football fanatic they're gonna know well yeah Megatron played during these years Mm -hmm. and yeah we're saying these years is just like these years of history you know these years when he was great was just like when Persia was great or you know stuff like that so you can break it down that way or if somebody were to be, like you said, a DC versus Marvel fanatic, you could say that would just be as simple as the Cold War. Everybody understands these two strong powers, but they're not going to collide unless you theoretically collide them. You mm-hmm. know, and that 
you know, you can stem in different directions as far as that goes. I mean, that's a great response. Uh, one thing that comes to my mind when I actually read the question is a little bit more uh, just how even events and how we view them, like the sites that we get our information off of creates this discourse of community because you got sites like CNN that's considered to be more liberal versus sites like Fox right. News that right. are more conservative. So you're creating a discourse and even how you learn, teach and such because of the fact like your views are going to be uh, a little bit biased because of what where you get your media from. Right. Right. So I find that might be a little bit harder in the sense that if you're teaching in an area that is very conservative like I was in Augusta County, Virginia, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of uh, rule and even going to the school I seen a lot of uh, Trump Pence signs even one that was actually just like big and bold with the words we the people I thought that it was actually a great sign other than the fact that <laughs> it was for uh, Trump and uh, Pence uh-huh. so that's what something that comes to my mind like how it can affect the students because even if you're trying to go teach you gotta remain Try to remain unbiased as possible, even right. though sometimes it will slip through the cracks. So, what do you mean by remaining unbiased? Is that the separation between liberal and conservative, or would that be more of the separation of comprehending their level of comprehension and transforming or changing the level of your comprehension to fit each student's need? I mean, in all honesty, it's both because you have your own set of views, but you also trying to go teach something that, uh, for example, uh, with teaching civics in like the seventh or eighth grade, depending on where you go, uh-huh. uh, you're supposed to teach on stuff like this and their views have been, uh, put forth by their parents. So right. they already had this mindset. So your job as a teacher is to try to go raise that comprehension. But if they have these views in mind, how do you try to reach them so that you can bring them from that point so that they just don't get lost and just keep with the same ideals that their parents been taught. Makes sense. I like that. So another question is, how is adolescent literacy defined in schools-based settings and what type of literacy proficiencies are expected from secondary students? And I actually have a quote from keytosuccess.com where it says that adolescent literacy encompasses the skills like comprehension, vocabulary, and writing skills to meet increasing challenging readings and writing demands. So, what's that? Uh, literally, we had conversations before about, you know, your new uh, program where you do workouts and right. nutrition plans, mm-hmm. and you tried to explain terms to me that right. were. So, for this, I mean, it, it comes down to the specifics, you know, because... If I were to include history in it, for lack of anything else, if you were to try to include history from Kentucky into a Virginia you know, school, people are not going to comprehend it as well. And their level of comprehension is going to separate from where it needs to be and where you're taking it mm-hmm. versus breaking something down as far as you need to in Virginia for a Virginia school. That that would actually start to elevate the different playing fields that would be needed, but getting those getting to those levels would be the tougher part. It all depends on how it's you know programmed. So would you say more in the sense of how their schooling is from the beginnings? Because we learn basic skills for reading and writing 
uh, first through fourth grade, and right. from there, it's more like we're trying to pick it up for different subjects and different uh, aspects of that subject. They have a little bit more mastery because you know even words that uh, can have different meanings in different subjects. So, I don't know how to break this down at, at like a personal level, but I believe that at an adolescent stage, it should be more imperative and more important for teachers to stress that these are essential for daily living, mm-hmm. you know, as far as read, writing, and arithmetic. They, these things are what's going to carry us through the rest of our lives. The more we increase these, the more we increase everything else. And I believe it should be stressed more at adolescent stages that if you can't read, you can't write. If you can't write, you can't read. If you can't do these, we're, we're stuck. You, you're not going to be able to help yourself help the world, you know. Right. So if you can't do these and you're not helping the world, you're not serving a purpose for yourself anymore. And if you're not serving a purpose, everything just, you know, falls down further than anybody would want to. So I feel as though if you were to not necessarily hire new teachers, but hire teachers that comprehend that these are more important than they used to be and are able to reach the standard they used to and then go above and beyond that as the students grow up and continue to make sure that these students continue to enhance their levels as they go from grade level to grade level then that would be more proficient than what we've been doing in the past uh yeah i mean from what i heard from not a hundred percent sure but uh one thing that i got pretty much out of it uh-huh. just inferring would be something like the no child left behind program where right. you kind of just push children through right. each subject without actually seeing if they actually comprehend, just trying to go get them out of the system. And with that, I mean, I've grown up with friends that's had that help them throughout school, and I I know other people that's had them help them throughout school, but personally, I don't think it was more of an aid. I would think it was more of a a crutch for those that actually needed that time to actually develop those skills that they were learning at that grade level versus just being told that these are the skills that they're learning and not fully comprehending it. And then because they can repeat it back to a teacher or write it down on a test, they're allowed to move to the next stage. And that's when these levels start to split from what they actually know and what they can show they know, you know. So that's just my take on that one. Uh, Great response. Uh, So we have one last question. Literally right before we began this podcast, we were talking about it uh, similar how do discourse communities functions in school and society, even though we literally talked about us both being African-American going to PWIs and mm-hmm. how that affects us because of the fact that, for one, you know, there's a difference in a little bit of everything, though, yeah. honestly. Yeah. So <clears throat> I can break this down as far as uh, one of my other best friends. He is Caucasian and he's uh, law enforcement. So one of the other days, uh, one of his dogs got out, mm-hmm. and the dog isn't aggressive or anything. So, but one of the dogs met one of the uh, <laughs> met with one of the neighbors uh, a little down the street, and they were actually able to build a rapport with each other from one being loving dog owners, and two both being law enforcement and serving the country. And I believe both of those are, of course, different forms of discourse. But yeah, they they were nobody to each other minutes before that dog ran down the street and now they're actually friends they speak to each other they can build with each other 
because something they have in common just presented itself in a matter of seconds. So as far as the world in general, or not even the world in general, I can bring it back to the, the school setting. If you can find something that's, a, that's common for the students, then that's the most common, then take it and run with it. Use it towards your advantage, you know. <clears throat> but, I mean, being at PWI, that increased our friendship a lot, even though it's two separate PWIs, <laughs> you know. We're able to talk about it, the things that we we comprehend and don't comprehend and we've been able to pick up on and put down eventually, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So, I mean, it it is extremely important, in my opinion, towards communities. Yeah, I completely understand that. But uh, so I'm going to bring up the opposite side of this being that, you know, if you're not a part of that uh, community, it's just a sense of like being left behind, left out. And that can create the sense of a barrier between the communities where um, me being that I I think I only had like maybe one to two uh, teachers of color uh-huh. my whole time being at JMU. Uh-huh. and. At times, that built a barrier between me and the professor because even times where I needed help, like, you know, I was a business major right. to begin off. Right. I understand exactly what uh, they were talking about, but how they explained it was totally different. Something and, that you haven't experienced before, pretty much. Yeah, like, I know the concepts that they're right. talking about, but the fact that how they taught it to me was easier for my uh, classmates to pick up than me. Right. And... Uh, when it came time to like get help, I was just less likely to try to go get help from my teacher because of the fact like I just felt like I wasn't. It made me feel a little bit left out because of the fact that even though I'm in the same school as them, I feel so far behind. Right, because I mean, but that is just like you know that that rapport that I was referring to. Say that my best friend and one of his neighbors didn't build that rapport, or one of them didn't like the way the other looked or didn't like dogs, you know, some the, the smallest thing that separates the two discords, you know, because the my best friend could be a dog lover and then the neighbor could not be a dog lover. That's already a big separation that could cause major problems right then and there and then eventually down the line when they could have simply put their two differences aside and, you know, had, for the lack of better words, community. You know, in that situation, you you take their community and make community, even though they didn't know each other. You know, so I mean, it, it does have its downsides, but it, there's always a way to break the downsides of that one. I mean, yeah, I totally agree because even though there has been those high barriers, there have been teachers uh, who have tried to make a better uh, attempt at getting to know me better, so that we mm-hmm. can actually build rapport. We found our little discourse yeah. where community where we have similarities and such. Yeah. I mean, that's all the questions that I have for you at this time. Thank you for being yeah. part of this podcast. Well, of course. Yeah. I'm, you're more than welcome to have me back up here. Yeah. All right. Thank you.